Welcome back to episode 6 of the Title Town Podcast. It's been a while since I've been on here. Four weeks of the NFL season have passed, and it has been a forgettable one if you are a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals. There have been a lot of struggles. Week 1 in Cleveland, everyone was excited for the first game of the season, um, and the Browns just dismantled us. Uh, their defense shut us down. Nothing going on the ground or in our passing attack. Lost that game 24-3. And then you come back home week two against the Ravens, another divisional opponent. And the Bengals disappointed again. Lost that one, I believe it was 27-24. to The defense struggled in that one, but the offense didn't score a first-half touchdown uh, for the second straight game. And then in week three, the Bengals were able to pick up a win against the Rams at home on Monday Night Football. The defense balled out. That was great to see. However, the offense still struggled, still a lot of negative signs. Heading into their Week 4 game in Tennessee against the Titans, which they lost in an embarrassing fashion, 27-3 to Ryan Tannehill. So that's a brief recap of what the Bengals have been through so far through the first four weeks of the season. They are 1-3 heading into a Week 5 matchup against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, obviously, this is unacceptable for a team like the Bengals that had such high standards going into the season. So what is going wrong? The main person to blame on the Cincinnati Bengals right now is Joe Burrow, and there's absolutely no question about that. Joe Burrow came into training camp, um, hurt the calf in the first couple of days. First of all, how is it possible to get an injury every single year of training camp? You are a professional athlete. Your job is to take care of your body and make sure you're healthy going into the season. And whether it's his fault or not, Joe Burrow has failed to do that every single year, which is just, it's ridiculous. And something needs to change in his off-season routine, something, because a fluke does not happen this many times in a row. Something needs to change with Joe Burrow. Uh, it's not just luck at this point. But so Joe Burrow injured the calf. He sat out training camp for a couple of weeks. We were told that the injury wasn't so severe, although Zach Taylor and the Bengals were a little mum on uh, exactly when Burrow would come back, when he would practice. They obviously said that he didn't need to play in the preseason, which is completely ridiculous because we saw what happened last year when he didn't play in the preseason. He started off 0-2. He threw five, interception, five interceptions in his first game. So we get to this season, and of course, the Bengals think he doesn't need to play in the preseason again. So we rest him, we rest him, but then it comes out that he's going to play week one against the Cleveland Browns. So what does that mean for Bengals fans? I, I, as well as a lot of people, expected that he would be normal or at least close to normal or at least functioning as the quarterback of our football team. But when we got into Cleveland, we saw that the offense was absolutely dysfunctional. It just got nothing going. Burrow had 82 passing yards, by far his career low, uh, one of the lowest marks I've ever seen an NFL quarterback have like in, in the modern era. So just a terrible offensive performance. I still don't think the Bengals have scored a first-half offensive touchdown this year, which is just unbelievable to, unbelievable to think about. One, two years ago, this offense was dynamic. This offense was dangerous. They were generating deep plays, but we're not doing that anymore. So Burrow injures the calf, and what I've seen from him so far this year, he's a quarterback that has absolutely no mobility, so I don't think his calf is feeling okay because he's not moving around well in the pocket. He has happy feet. He seems frightened by the pass rush whenever they're in his face, and he is not poised at all back in the pocket. So is this 
the fault of the calf injury, and I'll get to that later. It, it's possible it is, but it's possible there's a deeper issue here mentally with Joe Burrow. Looking at him throwing the football, he was never a gunslinger. He's not Justin Herbert. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have, he's not Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have that arm talent. But he was a capable thrower of the football, more like Tom Brady, where it maybe wasn't his best attribute, but it didn't really hurt him. He was probably an average thrower of the football, but he was very accurate, and he could put some zip on it when he needed to. He is clearly not able to do that this season. He is extremely inaccurate. All of his throws are lollipops, and he's really not getting any deep completions at all because he's not able to throw the ball with any velocity whatsoever. And this is just absolutely killing the Bengals' offense. So no throw power, no mobility, happy feet in the pocket. Is he doing anything well? I don't really think so. And that's shown by the fact that he has the worst quarterback rating in the NFL through four weeks. He is worse than quarterbacks like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, although Justin Fields has played a couple of good games in recent weeks. But Zach Wilson, rookie quarterbacks like Bryce Young, Sam Howell, um, CJ Stroud is tearing it up for the Texans. He's only played four NFL games. Burrow looks like he's the one that's the rookie. It's just, it's just unbelievable to think about the fall of Joe Burrow. He just signed the largest contract in NFL history. He's getting paid $270 million to play quarterback and put up numbers that I think 32 NCAA quarterbacks right now could put up in the NFL, especially when you have receivers like Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, especially when you have a dynamic offense, a running back in Joe Mixon who is not playing too poorly. Uh, and I thought he was going to play poorly, but he's probably been the bright spot of the offense so far. So Burrow has done nothing right. He's showing no signs of life in any aspect of quarterback play. He's the worst QBR in the NFL. And now there are a couple, you could make excuses for him because of the calf injury. That's something that is plausible. I'm sure the calf is affecting him in some way, although I think there might be other issues than just the calf. It might be mental. But regardless, Joe Burrow is deciding to play, right? He could very well say, I can't go, I can't play. Put in a backup quarterback. Could be Jake Browning, the Bengals' backup right now. Or it could be any quarterback in the NFL or any quarterback probably at the high school level level or above in this country, and they would give the Bengals a better chance to win. But Joe Burrow is choosing to play. And what that means is that we have to hold him to the same standard that we would any quarterback in the NFL. He is choosing to play. We're not going to make any excuses for him. Baker Mayfield in 2021, after he got the big playoff win, the big season in 2020, the big playoff win in Pittsburgh against the Steelers, in 2021, he tore his labrum in week two of the season. But he chose to play. He chose to push through it, and he was admittedly awful that season. And he was, he was, he fell out of favor in Cleveland. The Cleveland fans gave up on him. Um, he was absolutely, the media gave up on him. It was just, it was a bad situation for Baker Mayfield. But he was playing through a torn labrum. But no one was making excuses for him. He got kicked out of Cleveland after a great 2020 season just because he had a bad 2021 season because he was playing from week two and beyond with that torn labrum, with that injury, but he was still held to the same standard. Now, I know that Joe Burrow's probably a more lovable quarterback than Baker Mayfield, and he had more success prior to his injury than Baker Mayfield did since he made a Super Bowl and an AFC Championship game. However, we still should not be making excuses for him. Joe Burrow 
has only played two full seasons in the NFL. In these two full seasons, he's been very successful, but he hasn't proven enough that he just gets a pass because he has an injury right now. He is choosing to play, and he needs to be held to a higher standard, and I'm going to hold him to a higher standard. He's the quarterback of the football team that I root for, and I love Joe Burrow, but right now he is playing awful, and I'm not going to make any excuses for him. And if it was me, if I was Zach Taylor, if I was the Cincinnati Bengals coaching staff, I would bench him in a heartbeat because right now, not only are you, not only are you putting him in a position where he could get further injured, he's also awful. He is the worst quarterback in the NFL. So replacing him with anyone would not only get rid of the risk, get rid of the risk of him re-injuring his calf, it would also give the Bengals a better chance to win right now. So there's absolutely no reason that Joe Burrow should be playing in these football games. Uh, so just, just terrible decisions being made by the Bengals organization, and I expected better of them. But Joe Burrow is not the only one at fault here. I've been down on Zach Taylor, Bengals head coach, and Brian Callahan, the Bengals offense coordinator, before. I think our play calling is, has never been great. We don't seem to scheme anyone open. We don't get enough separation based on the receivers that we have, guys like Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase should be able to get more separation than he does sometimes, and I don't think it's his fault. I just think the Bengals aren't really ever able to scheme anyone open. You watch the Miami Dolphins offense. They're so spread out. They get so many open completions to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle across the middle. But for the Bengals, they're really not scheming anyone open. And I think if we were able to do that, it would make it a little easier on Burrow, despite the fact that he is mostly to blame here. Uh, Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor, they could make it easy on him. They can make it easier on Joe Burrow, and they're not able to. Joe Burrow is obviously not a very mobile quarterback right now, but neither was Patrick Mahomes when he played with a high ankle sprain against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. And we know the Chiefs won that game. Somehow they did it. It's probably, probably because they have Andy Reid, a genius play caller, who is able to help his quarterback out when they are not mobile. Uh, and Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan just aren't doing that. And if Joe Burrow is unable to execute in any offense right now, if Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan, no matter what they do, uh, Joe Burrow will not be able to uh, lead this offense to being efficient and dangerous, then why is he playing in the first place? Why are you making the decision to play him? Um, I, I don't know what's going on, but there's no answer for the Bengals that makes sense here. The only answer is we are idiots, essentially, and we don't know what we're doing, and we have no idea how to run a franchise how to run a team, um, and how to have continued success. And it's just really disappointing to see. It's, it's, it's been awful so far. It, it's been awful. One more thing. The defense for the Bengals was really bad last week against the Tennessee Titans. They gave up, I think it was 27 points to Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. But honestly, it wasn't just, it wasn't just Derrick Henry running through the Bengals, which is usually the Titans' offensive philosophy just to run it downhill with Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill was picking the Bengals apart with the pass. Cincinnati was not getting enough pressure, and they were certainly not stopping the run with Derrick Henry as well as they had the past couple of years. So the defense needs to get better. However, the Bengals' one win against the Rams, as I mentioned before, was solely because of the defense. I think we had like eight sacks, just dominated Matthew Stafford and the Rams. So they are responsible for our one win. But in Burrow's current state, if he is going to be playing the quarterback position, the defense is going to need to, be, need to be phenomenal for the Bengals to win games. 
and they were awful last week. So Lou Anarumo's really going to need to step it up this week. However, the defense was awful last week, but if you think about it, in their minds, they probably know that they have to be great. They probably know there's a ton of pressure on them because Burrow's not able to get anything done on the offensive side of the ball. So it's just a really tough spot to put the Bengals' defense in. I can't really blame them, but just they got to stop the run. They did it well last year. They haven't been doing it very well this year against the Ravens and the, and the Titans. So they just got to do their part. Um, and I, I don't really have anything else to say about them. It's a tough spot to be in when your offense is so bad. So this week's matchup, as I mentioned before, is in Arizona against the Arizona Cardinals with Joshua Dobbs at quarterback. Obviously, Kyler Murray is still uh, coming off that ACL tear, so he will not be playing. But Josh Dobbs this year has honestly been a pleasant surprise for the Cardinals. Um, he's, been, he's been really good. They obviously had that big upset win uh, by double digits against the Cowboys two weeks ago, which was really surprising. But if you look at it, the Cardinals are not a very talented roster. There's a reason people were saying before the season that they were going to tank for Caleb Williams. I don't think they're actually going to do that. But I don't think the Cardinals are really talented at the skill positions. Obviously, they lost DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think they're really talented uh, up front. I don't think their offensive or defensive lines are particularly stellar. Um, so I think this is a winnable game for the Bengals, even in their current state. But this isn't a away game for Cincinnati. So it, it's going to be an interesting one, and it's going to be a close one. Before the season, I obviously would have thought that this would be a blowout in the Bengals' favor. Um, but Joshua Dobbs and James Conner, the Cardinals running back, have shown an ability to be able to run over teams like they kind of ran over the Dallas Cowboys basically on the ground. They don't have a huge air attack, but Josh Dobbs is mobile. He's a dual-threat quarterback, so I could see the Cardinals running all over the Bengals. I hope that doesn't happen, but I could see the Bengals' defense getting dominated uh, by offenses running the football as they have for a couple of weeks during the beginning of this season. However, as I said before, the Cardinals do lack talent. Um, the Bengals should dominate the lines of scrimmage, especially our defensive line has to step up. The Cardinals' offensive line is not particularly strong. They have to step up. Uh, the Bengals do not have T. Higgins, so he got injured last week against the Titans. It's going to be a rough one for the Bengals' offense again because I don't see Burrow getting any better. Burrow came out earlier this week saying that this is the best he's felt after a game all season and that he understands that this game against the Cardinals is a must-win. I think I've heard that quote from him every single week of the season, and it hasn't really meant anything. So I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take that into account in my prediction. What I am going to take into account is that the Bengals' defensive line is going to need to dominate, um, and the Cardinals are not a very talented team. So I think that despite another anemic offensive performance, I think the Bengals can pull this one out 20-17 to 17 in Arizona. I expect possibly a defensive touchdown from Cincinnati to help them get to that 20 mark. They're going to have to hold the Cardinals' offense, get the Bengals' offense good field position. I think Evan McPherson's going to need to make some long kicks. Just any tiny, all these tiny little things need to be done to help out the Bengals' offense because I just, I'm just, at this point, I expect they're going to be awful under Joe Burrow. So I think a 20-17 to 17 win for the Bengals, very tentatively, 
Uh, but if the Bengals do lose this game and fall to one and four, um, a lot of people think that we should just are saying we should bench Burrow and kind of give up on the season a little bit or or just take our foot off the gas a little bit and make sure that Burrow gets healthy so that we can be good next season. I don't see it that way. I would see us benching Burrow as declaring that we are actually trying to win games this season because right now I don't know what we're doing. It's like we're we're putting ourselves in a lose-lose scenario where we have terrible quarterback play and a high risk of getting our franchise quarterback injured. So if if the Bengals do lose this game, Burrow absolutely has to be benched. I don't know what we're protecting him from, maybe mentally, but his play on the field has to be shattering him mentally right now. So I don't really know what we're doing. If this is a loss, Burrow has to be benched, not to give up on the season, but to give our team a chance on the season. Right now, the message that Zach Taylor is sending to his squad is that we, I as a coach am not giving you guys, giving you guys the best chance to win a football game. So Burrow's got to be benched if this is a loss. But I think maybe, just maybe, this could be a little bit like the Los Angeles Rams game when the Bengals' defense takes over and we are able to eke out a win. So hopefully that will happen. But again, very tentative prediction. I have absolutely no faith in Burrow right now, mentally or physically. So um, that's all I have. Moving on to a more enjoyable topic, which would be talking about any other team in the NFL. The Jags and Bills will face off tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, in London at 9.30 a.m. And this will be the Jags' second week in a row with a London matchup. Um, And I think that's significant because they don't really have to deal with the travel issues of the week as much as the Bills have had to. And I think that's just going to give the Jags a little bit of a tiny advantage in this game. And looking at some of the other factors, there's no... There's no, it's no secret that the Buffalo Bills have been dominating the past couple of weeks. They destroyed, I think, Washington. They destroyed Miami last week, a really hot Miami team. They've been clicking offensively and defensively. So definitely been, it's definitely been a good stretch for the Buffalo Bills since their disaster week one game against the Jets, the game in which Aaron Rodgers got injured and Zach Wilson came on and somehow won the game for the Jets. Uh, The Bills were terrible in that game. Josh Allen was terrible in that game. I think he turned it over like four times. But now they've been clicking, so they're heading into this game with a lot of momentum. Jacksonville, on the other hand, I don't think they've really uh, reached their peak yet this year. I think they're still kind of sleepwalking through some games. They Obviously, they got crushed by Houston a couple weeks back. They lost to Kansas City. The offense for Jacksonville has not been very good yet this year, but I think there's a lot of potential there. So looking at this, the, the on paper, it seems like the Buffalo Bills should win this game. They've been the better team for the majority of this season. However, as I said before, the Jags are playing their second week in a row in London. Um, they also, I think, play up to their competition a lot of the time. So I think Trevor Lawrence may be ready for this one. Uh, I like I like the Jags against good teams, is what I'm trying to say. And for the Bills, obviously, they have been clicking. But one thing I know about the Buffalo Bills the past couple of years is that when they're very good front runners, they're very good when they're up, when things are going easy for them. And if they are able to get up on teams, 
and score a lot of points, they can absolutely dismantle them and just completely shock the entire NFL with how dominant their, both their offense and defense can be. But when the Buffalo Bills have to face adversity, when they have to face a good team, more often than not, than not they will let you down. And I think that's what is going to happen this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Bills are five and a half point favorites, but I like the Jags in this one because of, again, Josh Allen's inability to win big games. He's amazing against bad teams, and he's a, he's a really good quarterback, and he has a lot of talent, but I just don't trust him in big games. When he has to face some adversity, he has to go across to a different continent this week against a good team, a team that won their division last year, a team that's looking for wins because they need them in an AFC South that's appearing to be more and more competitive as these weeks go by. So I do think, despite being five-and-a-half-point dogs, the Jaguars are going to win this game 27-23. to 23. That one's going to be a fun one, but I think the best matchup of the day is undeniably Dallas at San Francisco on Sunday Night Football. That one's going to be a really amazing one, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time on it. Um, San Francisco has obviously been rolling. They're 4-0. No one really has even come close to beating them. They're blowing everyone out. No one can stop them on offense. Christian McCaffrey, he scored four touchdowns last week. He scored at least one in his three prior games. He's looking like an MVP candidate, honestly. I know quarterbacks probably are the only position that can win that award. But if anyone that's not a quarterback is going to win MVP, it's, it's going to be, you're going to have to put up numbers like Christian McCaffrey is doing right now. He has been unstoppable along with that San Francisco 49ers offensive line. Um, moving to their defense, they have all pros on every single level. Uh, they have Nick Bosa obviously on the line. He is, he is fierce on that defensive line, and he is going to uh, strike some fear into the Dallas Cowboys offense. They have Fred Warner at linebacker, Talanoa Hufunga at safety, and just, just pro bowlers all around. It's really unbelievable the defense that they have been able to create. So they're obviously a very scary unit, and that, that defense combined with Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brendan Ayuk, Debo Samuel, all those skilled players that they have makes the 49ers a juggernaut, uh, and that is why they are 4-0 without really any, any chances to not be 4-0. Dallas, on the other hand, has had some games similar to uh, those games of the San Francisco 49ers. They've had some blowouts. Dallas obviously dismantled the New York Giants 40-0 week one Sunday night football. They just smoked the New England Patriots 38-3 last week and handled the Jets 30-10 in week two. However, week three, I believe they lost 28-16 to the Arizona Cardinals, Joshua Dobbs and the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals took down the Cowboys in that matchup. I still don't really know how. They ran all over Dallas. They ran all over a Dallas defense that has been ridiculously um, ridiculously overperforming so far throughout this season. Uh, but the Cardinals were able to get through the Dallas defense, which was really surprising. Dak Prescott threw a costly red zone pick towards the end of that game, uh, which is a uh, repeating story for him. And the Cowboys lost to the Cardinals. And so that's a blemish on their record that is impossible to ignore. So the Cowboys are 3-1, and one, three dominant performances, one F performance. Um, 
heading into this matchup. So the recent history of this matchup, I think it's important to take it into account because obviously these teams uh, faced off a lot in the 90s, but in the 2020s, the uh, rivalry between this matchup is heating up again. So in 2021, the Dallas Cowboys won the NFC East. They won their division to earn themselves a home playoff game in the wild card round. And in came Jimmy Garoppolo and this wild card San Francisco 49ers, who had a slow start to the, to the year, but really were able to turn it on at the end, a lot because of their physicality um, on the offensive and defensive lines. And Dallas, Dak really struggled in that game. Dallas got down early. I think it was like 10-0 pretty early in the game and never really could come back. There was obviously a lot of pressure on the Cowboys because of how unsuccessful they've been as a franchise in recent decades. Um, And Dallas just, they just laid an egg in this game. Uh, And San Francisco came into Dallas and won 23-17 as a road wildcard team in the first round of the playoffs. Um, it really exposed Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach. It exposed Dak Prescott. It was a really disappointing game for the Dallas Cowboys, and the Niners were the ones that ended their season. So that kind of kicked off this new wave of this Cowboys 49ers rivalry. And luckily for us NFL fans, they faced off again last year in the, in the divisional round in San Francisco. And obviously the Cowboys were looking for revenge. San Francisco was led by Brock Purdy this time, uh, not Jimmy Garoppolo. He, Brock Purdy had replaced Jimmy Garoppolo. And the Cowboys thought they could come in and win the game. And Dak Prescott laid yet another egg in the playoffs against the 49ers. Dak was awful in that game. I think he had multiple turnovers. Um, and the 49ers were able to take advantage enough to beat the Cowboys 19-12 to at home, and advance to the NFC Championship game. So the past two times, both in Dallas and in San Francisco, in the NFL playoffs, uh, the Niners were able to handle Dallas and are responsible for ending the Cowboys' season two years in, in a row. So that's kind of the history of this matchup, and I think that provides some good context for what is going to occur this Sunday. So the Cowboys have been known to, just like I said about the Bills before, let, uh, let their fans down whenever they face any adversity. They're great front runners when they are winning um, by a lot. They are able to really put it on teams. They're able to dominate teams and look like they're the best team in the NFL. But once they have a deficit, once they have to face adversity, they crumble. Dak Prescott crumbles. Even the defense sometimes crumbles. So... With that in mind, you'd think that the Dallas Cowboys were, Cowboys were due for another letdown in this game. However, I think that Dak Prescott knows that that is the narrative that is uh, circulating about his quarterback play and, and um, his team. And I think he's going to do anything in his power to avoid giving Cowboy haters, Dak haters, yet another piece of evidence to support their arguments. So I think Dak is going to be ready to play in this one um, because I think he he doesn't want to prove those haters right. And I think, additionally, he understands this, the importance of this game for his team mentally. Um, if you can go into San Francisco, who right now looks like the best team in the NFL, and beat them, 
on Sunday Night Football, the message that that sends to the entire NFL, but your your own locker room, is so important and will, and will serve the Cowboys so well as the season continues. And Dak Prescott's a smart guy, and I'm going to trust that he understands these things and that he knows how important this game is. He knows what the narrative about his quarterback play in big games is, and he's going to do anything in his power to change that narrative and get this huge win for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, looking at it from the 49ers side of things, Brock Purdy has not faced any adversity whatsoever in his um, in his short NFL career. He's obviously never lost a game that he started and finished, but they did get crushed by the Eagles in that NFC Championship game. I know they didn't have a quarterback. That's really the only reason that it happened. Um, Christian McCaffrey was playing quarterback for the Niners. But what is important about that is that Brock Purdy wasn't out there with his team to be able to face that fierce Eagles defense and be able to uh, compete throw for throw with Jalen Hurts, who was on the other side of the ball. So he doesn't have that experience. And because of that, I don't think he's faced enough adversity to prepare him well for this game. The Dallas Cowboys defense is without Trayvon Diggs for the rest of the season because of, I think, an MCL tear. But Michael Parsons is still rushing the passer. And I don't care how good the 49ers O-line is, Micah is going to have an impact on this game for the Cowboys. And Brock Purdy's going to have to be able to handle that. And I'm just not sure that once he faces a little bit of adversity, this is probably the most difficult game that he has played so far in his career. I get that he's at home, and I get that he has a ton of weapons surrounding him. But I think the Cowboys are going to be able to compete with the 49ers. And if this has made a close game, surprisingly, I trust Dak Prescott more than Brock Purdy. Dak Prescott has disappointed in big games before, but he has also succeeded in big games before. And our sample size on Brock Purdy is so small that I honestly expect him to have a little bit of a letdown game this Sunday. Uh, in the playoff game that he won 19-12 against the Cowboys, Purdy was really bad that game. He was not good at all. And the only reason that the 49ers won that game is because Dak was worse. And I think Dak is going to play better this weekend. And I think Purdy is going to struggle, turn the ball over maybe one or two times. And I think those turnovers could change the game. And because of that, these are obviously two very stacked rosters. But I think the Cowboys are going to come out on top. I think something like 23-20 to 20 Dallas. Before I wrap up this edition of the Titletown podcast, I thought it would be an interesting exercise to go back to some of my week one predictions or predictions from a month ago and see how they have aged so, so far. So starting off with where I was right, um, Baker Mayfield has been balling for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the, has led the Bucs to what is now a 3-1 and one record. I think they're atop the NFC South right now. I don't think I had them winning the NFC South, but I think I said I would not be surprised at all if they had a much more successful season than people anticipated and if they were able to win this relatively weak division. And so far, it looks like they have a good chance of doing that. Again, I've been high in Baker Mayfield his whole career. I think the Browns gave up on him too early. I think he's a better quarterback right now than Deshaun Watson. And I think the, uh, he obviously had some unfortunate situations last season in Carolina and playing with a decimated Los Angeles Rams team. But this season, it's looking better for Baker Mayfield. And so that prediction aged pretty well so far. Another one of my predictions that has aged pretty well is um, my Chicago Bears take, where I thought that they would not be 
uh, not make nearly as many improvements this year as people anticipated they would. Um, obviously, they got a good weapon in DJ Moore on the outside, but through the first three weeks, it was absolutely abysmal for the Bears. I've always thought Justin Fields is more of a, uh, a player that can make something out of nothing, but is unable to uh, operate efficiently within an offense that does have weapons. I doubt his ability to throw the football a lot of the time. He is obviously a great runner and is able to make plays when nothing is available. But I think once uh, things start going his way, or, or once his team around him starts to improve, it's going to show that Justin Fields is not able to elevate his team. And I think that's already started to show itself early this season. Through the first three weeks, he was terrible. Um, people wanted to, people were calling for him to be benched. A lot of people were giving up on the Bears. He had a good offensive performance week four against Denver, but a late costly turnover by Justin Fields lost the game for the Bears, lost the game for the Bears and won it for the Broncos. But then he did have a really nice breakout performance this Thursday against the Washington Commanders. So he's been putting up good passing stats the past couple of games, but the Bears are one and four, and I need to see more from Justin Fields. From what I've seen from him so far, my doubts of Justin Fields have proved to be um, realistic, and Justin Fields needs to step it up if he wants to uh, be seen as the quarterback of the future for the Chicago Bears. He has started to turn it around, though, so I wouldn't say this prediction is a 100% hit, but I'd say there's definitely some truth to what I was saying about Justin Fields. Moving on, my take about the New York Jets moving into this season with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback was that they were going to severely disappoint. I'm a big Aaron Rodgers hater, and I did not like the Jets' O-line. I know they have a great defense, but I had a lot of doubts about the Jets going into this season. Obviously, very unfortunate injury for Aaron Rodgers. Torn Achilles on his fourth play as a New York Jet. And a lot of people thought that their season was over after that. Um, I didn't, that's not something that I wanted to see as an NFL fan. I think that makes the NFL worse. However, I don't think that uh, the injury to Aaron Rodgers should completely negate um, the success of my prediction. I had him, I think, finishing 7-10. and 10. I said I had concerns about the offensive line. And through the first four games, the Jets are 1-3. and three. The one game they won uh, was against the Bills week one when Josh Allen had, a, had an absolute meltdown, as I mentioned before. So the Jets have been struggling, especially on offense, with Zach Wilson at the helm. However, I think a lot of that is due to the fact that their weapons are maybe not as dangerous as some people think they are, and their offensive line is pretty abysmal. Um, so obviously Zach Wilson is not a great quarterback, and I think he has a lot of potential, but he's obviously not um, going to lead a team to a successful record right now at this stage in his career. But I do think if Aaron Rodgers were playing, the Jets will, would, would still be plagued by a lot of the issues that are plaguing them with Zach Wilson. So I'm not sure that they wouldn't be 1-3 if Aaron Rodgers was playing quarterback for them. So again, you, you can discount my, uh, my prediction if you would like because obviously the star quarterback for the New York Jets will not be playing this season. However, I still think that I, uh, I had some, there was some truth to what I was saying about 
the problems with this New York Jets roster that extend further than just the quarterback position. So the Jets have started poorly. I had them having a disappointing season. Um, so the Jets are, are definitely not going to be a playoff contender this year. Moving on to where I was incorrect, the Cincinnati Bengals, obviously, um, I had them going 13-4, and four, winning the ASC North. They already have three losses. That is clearly not going to happen, the 13-4 and four record. I still think they could make the playoffs, squeeze into the playoffs, but I didn't anticipate Joe Burrow being as bad as he's been. So that was a big miss for me from a prediction standpoint. Uh, the Bengals are not going to win the AFC North with a 13-4 and record, unfortunately. And finally, I think I missed on the Niners. I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, like a lot of people think right now, after four weeks. But they're 4-0. They've been really dominant. Brock Purdy has played well. Christian McCaffrey's been amazing. So my, I think, 10-7 and record prediction for them, uh, with them finishing third place in their own division and barely squeezing into a wild card spot in the NFC, is definitely not going to come to fruition. The Niners are better than 10-7. and They are the best team in their division. So um, I, I definitely did not get that one right. I don't, I'm not as high on them as a lot of people are, despite how dominant they've been early in the season. I still have my doubts about Brock Purdy. However, uh, there's no doubt that the Niners are a juggernaut in the NFL right now, and I, I was wrong about them. That's it for this week's edition of the Titletown Podcast. I'm really excited to see how my predictions play out for Week 5 um, and for the rest of the season. I'm also really excited to see if the Bengals will be able to turn it around. I really hope that they will be able to turn it around. But there's still a lot of questions to be answered throughout the National Football League. And some stuff's going to sort itself out in the next couple weeks. And I will be back soon to talk about it. Thanks for listening. And go follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And go follow my Instagram at title.town.podcast if you want to listen to more.